I want to talk about, of course, because of course, in the midst of all this, and we talk about mission as Christians, uh, in the midst of all this, we are witnessing potentially world-shaping events right now. And, uh, and it's really funny because we had some domestic issues going on uh, and then all of a sudden something breaks out in the Middle East and it's like, it just, it all comes back into proportion, doesn't it? Very, very quickly. And, uh, and yet I want to touch on a few of these things today because I think there's a general theme, if you haven't realised it, that there's a theme, it's like our world, and I'm talking about the environment around us, the world around us. It's like it's on a theme of polarisation. Demanding allegiance, demanding we polarise. This is driving me nuts, so I need another mic, sorry. Yeah. But there's this theme of polarisation. I mean, we, we just came through the whole COVID season and man, that was enough. To vaccinate or not to vaccinate, that is the question. And of course, battle lines are drawn and rhetoric ramps up. And before you know it, like, it, think about how insane this was, that families were literally split apart. Marriages under pressure, churches split. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't all a big issue, but it's like, it's like our world has one agenda. And that is to divide, to polarise to opposite extremes. And of course, uh, I could not not mention the voice referendum. And I'm not talking about whether you say yes or no or not. What I'm saying is there was the demand to be one or the other. There was the demand, and it seemed to be without substantial debate, there was this demand to polarise, to polarise, to polarise. And then we have war in the Middle East. We have a terrorist attack and a military response to that. And all of a sudden, it's like, are you for Israel or Palestine? And it's just polarised, polarised, polarised. And of course, it's everyone in these circumstances is claiming the moral high ground. Everyone's saying, you know, if, you, if you're not with me, then you're a wicked, evil person. And uh, this shouldn't surprise us. It really shouldn't. I've mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again. There's this metaphor in Scripture. And Scripture uses an ancient kingdom as a metaphor, an ancient kingdom called Babylon, which were traditional or, or rose up as a world power and became massive enemies of God's people. And the meaning literally of that term, Babylon, the meaning of the word is fragmentation and scattering, confusion. That's literally what Babylon means as a term in Scripture. And then we see it pulled into the New Testament to liken it to this world system. That we live literally, we are living in Babylon there's plenty of scriptural metaphor that would say, we as the church, we as God's people, you know, we are in this world, but we're actually not of it. There's something else outside of us that is trying, as Paul would put it, to squeeze us into its mould. That's what Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind or by thinking differently to this world is what Paul's saying. Don't think like this world or you will begin to look like this world. 
But we're called to be something different. We're called to be witnesses to a different kingdom. Not one that scatters, but one that gathers and brings wholeness and completion to people. And so I, I think not to use these examples, current examples, is sort of to ignore the elephant in the room. That's why I've sort of gone there a little bit. When I look at what happened in Israel, I mean, people trying, can I just say, people trying to justify or rationalise either the terror attack or the war have more in common than they think. (laughs) Have more in common than they think. To do either, you must lose sight of common humanity. That's where you've got to land. And again, our world is wanting to tear us apart, wanting to polarise, wanting to... And I'm not saying injustices weren't done and I'm not saying evil shouldn't be dealt with. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if you ramp up with the rhetoric, then really you're batting for the same team. It's called Babylon. Fragmentation. Division. Once again. And I don't know about you, but this is, this is a question, but I'm... Does anyone else feel like this constant centrifuge? It's like the world is just trying to spin you to the outer. You feel that? Or maybe not a centrifuge. What's that, a centra... Centrifuge? Yeah, that's a centrifuge. That's right, I got it right. So much is being said of resistance right now. Resistance. Must resist terror. We must resist occupation, whatever. And I'm a bit torn as a pastor, my elders would know. I've actually changed this message about four times this week. Not sure whether I should go there. But uh, because it's so hard to get this right, so hard to get it, and I don't want to alienate anyone. Can I just say, I'm not trying to be political, but to give some sense of biblical frame of reference that helps us how to view and think. I don't want to tell us what to think. I, want us to, I think the Bible teaches us how to think. And an environment of politically slandered media narratives and revisionist history with both sides chanting for blood, we need to know how the Bible wants us to think. So I want to speak to us about the true resistance. Talk about resistance. Yep, it's a good thing. Let's talk about the true resistance. Acts chapter 10, and amazingly, I prepared this message, the the beginning of this message, I actually prepared before I went overseas at least five weeks ago, and it was scheduled for today, so you're getting it. And it was amazing how it kind of fitted with current circumstances. It's almost like um, God knew the calendar. There's a story in Acts chapter 10, it's it's an amazing story, we can't read it all because it's exhaustive, but We have Peter, who's one of the leaders of the early church, obviously of Jewish background. And he has three visions where he sees a a, a sheet laid down from heaven and it had everything on it that Aussies think is great to eat, but was wrong for him to eat by his Jewish diet. Okay, so it had prawns and crab. and Think of anything you have at Christmas. Probably had ham. I don't know. I'd reckon it had ham. So it had all this stuff. And, and then Peter's instructed to, to rise and eat, kill and eat, literally. And, um, 
And he's like, Lord, I can't do that. That's, 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 I'll be ceremony unclean. That's not what I do. I'm a good Jewish boy. Uh, he has it three times. He's challenged. And then he kind of, kind of wonders what all that's about. Like God just gave me a vision of eating things I should never eat, touching things I should never touch. Anyway, about the time he comes out of his trance and he finishes his vision, some people arrive at the door who've been sent a bit of a journey earlier to send for him. People he doesn't know and they actually don't know him because on the other end of the line, a, a certain centurion had had a supernatural moment, an angelic appearance telling him he needed to send for this guy called Peter and it even gave his address. Okay, so this is really supernatural stuff. You'd have to say God is fairly invested in this story. And so Peter doesn't know these people, but it's like, thankfully, Peter's discerning enough to think, maybe there's a God thing going on here. I've just had three confusing visions. (laughs) Not sure what they mean. And then people I don't know are here getting me to come with them. And I want to pick up the story in Acts chapter 10, verse 28. where he says, and he arrives at this house. He goes with the messengers from the the centurion Cornelius and he arrives at his house. And this is what he said. You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And then he asks this question. May I ask why you've sent me? (laughs) That is an incredible question. Because I want you to think about this. Peter has just seen the risen Christ. He's seen Jesus die for the sins of the world. He's successfully been preaching that gospel to lots of people and seeing the Spirit of God change people, convert people, sweep thousands into the church. He has the message that is changing lives of the ages. He gets supernaturally summoned somewhere and he's not sure why he's there. Does that seem strange to you? It's not even on his radar that why he's there might be because God loves these people too. It's not even on his radar. And we would be foolish to think, tisk tisk, Peter the Jew. Because we are so much like Peter. This is not a Jewish thing. This is a human thing. This is what we're like. Our own perspectives, whatever. His background had blinded him to seeing God's purpose and plan, even after God had given him three supernatural visions. It was like, what else do you think you're there for, Pete? To talk to them about the menu for dinner? Like, what what do you think you're there for? He's got the revelation. It's okay now for me to be here. That's good. But he's not sure what to say. And then Cornelius speaks. So Cornelius says, four days ago, I'm going to paraphrase this a bit. Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. I had this angelic apparition. I called, it said, call Simon here. And now you're here, Simon Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So Cornelius is like, I'm not sure why you're here either. But apparently you have a message. If you can't see the irony in this, you're really missing it. Are you okay there? 
you've gone quiet. I find this really entertaining. And so, and so uh, Peter has this revelation. It, it crystallises what this is all about. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And then Peter literally preaches to them. And I just want to read the end of his message. All the prophets testify about him being Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then it says this incredible sort of incredible insight in the story. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers or the other Jewish people that were there with Peter, who had come with Peter, because you've got to remember the church was, was pretty well Jewish at this point. It was a, considered a Jewish sect. All that came with him were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And by Gentiles, we're just talking about those outside of the Jewish covenants with God. In other words, everyone else. And they're astonished for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter continues basically. And it's this powerful story of the gospel like breaking out, breaking barriers, breaking into whole new, reaching new people that actually the insiders never thought could really be reached. They just, they were in the too hard basket for too long and it wasn't on their frame of mind that God might be interested in someone else. And just an observation, I mean, this is the observation. This is gonna be a simple message. The observation is God moved through them in spite of them. God moved through Peter in spite of Peter. Peter, you will notice, while he's still speaking. In other words, he hasn't finished his message. He hasn't given an altar call. He hasn't invited them to open their hearts to God. Because Peter probably wouldn't have. Again, it wasn't on his frame of reference. So when he said, you've got a message, I think he was ready to preach the message, pack up and go home. Done it. Tick another thing off the obedience list. But as he's speaking, God transcends his understanding and has to, to break that mindset. It literally takes a miracle move of God, a spontaneous supernatural outpouring of the Spirit to just shift a mindset. Peter goes on and it's like, well, 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 we can't forbid them to be baptised because everything that happened to us at the beginning is happening to them. Then you find later in the book of Acts, Peter's actually got to defend the fact that he preached to people and they got saved. He's literally got to defend the fact. Oh, I was part of a move of God. I'm sorry. So it was like, what's, we heard that you went in and you were with, you were with outsiders. So, and, it, and, and I love Pete. He blames God. So well, I was just talking and then God did this thing. And I mean, it was just all God. So you take it up with him, you know. But the church rejoiced because then it was a broader revelation. It was like, oh, hang on a sec. This isn't about us. 
This is getting bigger and bigger than what we ever thought it would be. The same spiritual outpouring experienced by the insiders is experienced by the outsiders. Here's some thoughts around application or the application for today. We must see people the way God sees them. This current season of extreme polarisation, I mean, so similar to Acts chapter 10 and the environment of the day. It's so similar to today. And there's these cries to who you're going to side with. Can I just say that here's the danger of allowing yourself to be polarised. Here's the danger. If you will allow yourself to be polarised, and it doesn't matter what this is on. I mean, we, you, you can see it with sporting teams, but hopefully it never gets too serious there. You see it with, I mean, I know Dave Richard won't, Richardson won't believe this, but some people don't drink coffee. You know, that could be a major social division if we allowed it to be. But here's the problem with allowing yourself to be polarised over really difficult issues. It can justify an indifferent response to them perishing without Christ. That's what we do. And often we're driven by our fears and we're driven by different things. And can I just say, for people who are actually living right now in the Middle East and are literally facing these things... It's okay that they've got a far higher degree of rhetoric and a far higher degree of response. But until we actually see terror in our streets, we should be able to think about these things a little bit rationally. I mean, our response doesn't need to reflect their response. Does that make sense? We're not in that situation. We happen to be a long way away in an incredibly blessed nation and we should never take it for granted that we'll always be that way. But until it isn't that way, we don't have to ramp up with the same degree, depending on how close we are to that scenario. And it's amazing how media and our, our, the way the world works now, it, it takes everything that was once at arm's length and jams it in your face so that it feels like a very present threat to you. So things have got to be worked out. And I'm, again, things have got to be worked out. I'm going to ask one of the elders to come and pray at the end of this for peace in the Middle East. But we just need to be careful where we stand because if we let ourselves ramp up, if we buy into the rhetoric, then we begin to justify evil action. And we see that in our media right now. I'll never forget for me, I'll never forget the first time I saw men sitting with their takia on, Muslim head covering, and sitting in the same room as people with hijabs and full burqas as they curiously watched family members being baptised in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never, it was moving, it was poignant. It was, you could feel the atmosphere shift in the room. And I actually, I've always believed Jesus is the answer, but I tell you, it was like, I'll never forget this because Jesus is the answer. Right there, people were actually risking their lives for Christ 
But the reaction wasn't angry. The reaction was a curious leaning in. Jesus sides with humanity. So here we go. Here's my thought. True resistance is refusing to build walls of division. That's the true resistance. No, I refuse to do it. It might be very different if you're there and you need to build a wall to keep yourself safe. That might be different. But right here, I refuse to be polarised to someone else's agenda because I am on one agenda and his rhetoric is Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus delivers. Jesus, Jesus can give you power to live a new life. Jesus can turn the page and wipe the past out so that you can start again fresh. Jesus believes in uh, uh, new creation. I just want to read us a passage, Ephesians chapter 2. It's a bit of a passage, but can we just read through this? I'm going to make a few conclusions and we're done. Ephesians 2, 14 to 19, it says this of Jesus Christ. And it's speaking now, Paul's really helping the church, that early church, understand that there's no longer insiders and outsiders. For he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations, his purpose, this is Paul saying, this is what God was doing. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, the insiders and the outsiders. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. I don't know whether you were around, maybe you weren't old enough, but I remember the Berlin Wall coming down. Was it 89, something like that? I remember the Berlin Wall and it just resonated with most of humanity. This wall, it just like resonated, it seemed. It was just like, it's time. The wall comes down. Well, Jesus did it 2,000 years ago, by the way. It's just, we're slow learners. So here's some thoughts on our approach. How can we stand in the gap and be people who speak peace in the middle of turmoil? First thought is listen without judgment. And I'm not now just talking about the current situation in the Middle East, but I mean, th these are just rules for our everyday life as Christians who want to share our faith. Listen without judgment. I mean, Peter, he might have been indifferent, but he asked the right question. <laughs> what am I here for? <laughs> Can someone please tell me? Um, and I do think outreach is as much about listening as about speaking. 
to listen to understand rather than to listen to reply. Gee, imagine our whole world doing that. It'd be a totally different narrative. And I guess we need to really, really be convinced that there's no value in being very good at answering questions no one is asking. You have to listen first. Secondly, don't force a conclusion. If you force a person to a conclusion, they haven't changed their thinking one iota. Don't make the mistake of thinking, I need to fix people. We don't need to fix people. It's not our job. (laughs) We need to introduce people to Jesus and then let Jesus do whatever Jesus thinks he needs to do to move them in a more positive direction. But often it's like, "I, I need to fix you. And it doesn't help us communicate. It just polarises. I wonder if we would be bold enough to believe, and we've spoken about this, but that God is already at work in people. People that don't necessarily... Honestly, again, I go back to seeing Muslim people baptised with their faith in Christ. God is working in this world in ways that are way beyond our comprehension. He really is. And I mean, we need to be faithful. We need, we need to be witness. But some of these folk had angelic apparitions. I was talking to the pastor. Some of these people have visions of Jesus, wake up in the middle of the night and he's standing at the foot of their bed. I mean, God's getting it done and God's at work. How much more could God be at work in the person that you buy your petrol off? So I wonder if we could be faith-filled enough to believe God's already at work and we just need to be faithful with our story. Last thought, just real quick, these three thoughts. Third one, be honest with your doubts and your mistakes. There's such a cry for authenticity in our world, which seems ridiculous when you look at social media. But I think that's actually driving a cry for authenticity. I think people are thinking, there has got to be more than this. Because as much as I can't stop looking at you, I don't reckon your life's as good as you make it, make it out to look. And there's a cry for authenticity and there's got to be authenticity with us. You know, when Peter said, God has shown me no one is unclean, it was actually an admission that he had it wrong. At some point he was thinking wrong, but now he's thinking different. <laughs> and I think we've got to be honest with our own foibles. We have to be honest with the fact we're all on a journey. I don't know how you're going, but my understanding of who God is, actually my understanding of just what it is to be human, seems to be morphing. Older folk were giving me a nod, a knowing look. And God help us if it's not. It means you're not growing. It means you plateaued. If your view of God and the world and your own, your own self as a person, if that's not continuously changing, it means at some point you felt you got all the, everything shoved into a neat box. And it means you're, you're no longer a disciple. You might be a believer, but you're no longer a learner. And it'd be tragic. So that helps temper my approach because it's like, you know, I'm, I really feel this strongly about this right now, but I'm not sure I'm going to feel that strongly about it in five years' time. 
I remember when the church felt really strongly about not having drums in church because drums summon demons. Aren't you glad we grew out of that? So here's a couple of questions for us. I'm going to ask Pastor Dean if he would come. And I'm going to get Dean to, to pray specifically about the Middle East. But before we go there, just a couple of questions. How committed am I to listening without judgment? It's an honest question. Ask yourself that. How committed am I to listening without judgment? Or am I listening for the reply? Am I listening to ramp up and shoot down the argument, but I actually haven't heard what the person's saying? Am I trying to change people's opinions or introduce them to Jesus? That's a powerful one, isn't it? Am I trying to change people's opinions or am I trying to introduce them to Jesus? Can I just say, introducing people to Jesus will get a lot more traction in their life than you arguing their opinions. Three, (laughs) do the ups and downs of my own journey produce a humility in me when it comes to sharing my faith? Now, are we acting like we've just got it all together? Of course, we're Christians. And it's like, well, you know what? That just looks like someone else's social media feed. That just ain't right. Jesus doesn't make us perfect. He helps us get through and transforms us on the way. So I'm really, really hoping that next week I look better than this week. But until now, I'm stuck with imperfect me. I have to be honest with that. I have to be honest that, hey, if you come to Christ, it's not going to fix every problem for you. It's great. You should do it. God's got a list. He'll work you through it. Might take 50 years, but that's okay. God's got time. (laughs) And just being a little bit more honest with the fact that this is a journey and it has some wonderful moments. My journey had this most incredible moment where I came to the front of a church and gave my life to Jesus, 1986, February 1986 sometime, and it changed my life and it's changed my life to this day. But when I really, really think about it, God was already at work. Long before I got to the front of that church, God had been at work in me. And we've got to believe that for other people. And then we've got to walk with the humility as we share our story and our journey with them. Can I pray with us today? Could we just bow our heads for a moment? I love what God has done through Christ. Jesus has broken down the wall of division. Ultimately, that's between us and God and enables us to connect our lives to the life of God. Where that's then meant to take us is it breaks down walls of division between people and people. And instead of suspicion and hate, peace is extended. And love Maybe you've never experienced that. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never gone, you know what, I've, I've always felt I was an outsider with the things of God or with God or with the church or with Christian people. Can I just tell you, God considers you on the inside of his plan. Now, whether you walk that plan out or not is entirely up to you. <laughs> but uh, God's already got your number. God already sees you. Uh, And you don't have to become super religious to connect your life with the life of God. Just an open heart is all it takes. You might be here today and you'd say, Chris, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to take that step. 
never fully opened my heart to God, but I want to today. If that's you, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, would you just shoot your hand in the air real quick? Because I want to pray for you before I move on. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would like to know who I could pray for. I'm looking around real quick. Come on, if that's you, just shoot your hand up and I'll move straight on. Wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Father. Awesome. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just thank you for being so good to each and every one of us and for those of us who are reaching out and opening our hearts in a new way today. I just thank you for your grace and your love and your goodness just pouring into these hearts. Let them know, Father, your reality, your goodness, and lead them in your ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.